Uh, Pastor Michael, I'm one of, uh, of soon-to-be four elders. Uh, we got uh, our brother Mark coming on with us next month. He's here now, but uh, yes, excited about that. Glad you're here, brother. Your family's been such a blessing to this church, and uh, we're really glad you're here. But with that being said, you're still stuck with me. Uh, we're going to jump into uh, our continuing series called More Like Him. The idea behind this was, is as we head into the, the Christmas season, as we celebrate the birth of Jesus, uh, we were actually heading up to the men's camping trip. We were, we were tossing around ideas on what the next series would be, and the Lord kind of led us in this direction, uh, looking at the fruit of the Spirit, which is found in Galatians chapter 5, and the life of Jesus. So Jesus is our role model and should be the person that we mimic ourselves after, right? Would you agree with that? So that being said, we're going to, we've already done it for two weeks, this will be week three, we're going to look at what it takes to mimic him. And it can be a daunting task, but he's actually made it very easy for us. And I'm gonna, we're going to talk about that as well. How, how do we do this? How do we be more like Jesus? So I, I know you've prayed a lot this morning, but if you would just humor me, could we just pray one more time before we dive into the word here, that the Lord would guide us? Heavenly Father, one more time, we just say thank you. We pause right now to acknowledge that this is of you. As, as my brother Daniel prayed this morning, that, that he wouldn't get the glory or his associate. Father, but we pray right now that no man would ever get the glory in your presence. And you said where two or three are gathered, you are there. So right now, Lord, would you receive all the glory and all honor? Would you take this message that uh, do you help me prepare, Lord God, and would you, would you help speak this to hearts and minds right now, that you would open up deaf ears, that you would open up the blind eye, that your word truly is a light unto our path. Holy Spirit, we pray right now that you would be active in the preaching and the hearing of your word. And we thank you for this. In your son's name we pray. Amen and amen. I want to do a couple, show you a couple of scriptures on the front side where if, if this is new to you, that the Bible tells you to be an imitator of Christ, you know, that sounds great when a pastor comes up and says, you should be more like Christ, right? And then immediately you walk out and you say, whatever. <laughs> Uh, so, but it's not me saying it, it's the Bible. If you would go to Ephesians 5.1, look at this. It says, therefore be imitators of who? Of God as beloved children. Okay, 1 John 2.6 says this. Whoever says he abides in him who lives in God ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So if you say you follow God, the scripture says, well, you ought to walk like he walked. And guys, might I add, that involves growing a sweet beard, right? That's a joke. Obviously, you're in the, most of you are Marines and you can't. Okay, anyways, 1 Corinthians 11.1 1 says this. Paul is writing. He says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So he was telling the Corinthian church, okay, this is tough, but let me set the example then. And I would say, if you're a mature Christian, that, this is a good thing to say. Hey, if you're discipling someone younger and they don't know what Christ looks like, right? They're new to the Bible, do you realize that you might be setting that example of what the Christian life should look like? Follow me because I follow Christ. And how many of us can, can actually say that? right? So as we study this to be more like him, the goal isn't to be cute or uh, you know, like some kind of cliche where it's like, oh, we want to be more like Jesus. The scripture commands us to be more like him. And in Christianese, this is called sanctification. right? So when we get saved, the Bible says that's justification. We're justified before God. It's a free gift. There's nothing we can do. There's nothing, there's no activity you can do other than believe in Jesus Christ to be saved. That's it. 
Justification. Made right with God. Now, the problem is, is we're left alive here on the earth. And we still want to do all the bad things we've always wanted to do, right? The Bible calls that our flesh. We just want to live how we want to live. We want to keep on sinning. We want to keep doing these kind of things. But it's like, well, this doesn't make a lot of sense because the Bible says I'm saved and how come I'm not acting any different? How come my desires haven't changed? This is what we call sanctification. We're being sanctified. This is the process of salvation. Now, this doesn't mean we're earning it. We've already been justified. The salvation's already been purchased. This is in the past. That's why when you read your Bible, you see language about, well, I was saved before the foundation of the world, that I've been, you know, all these things in the past. Yes, God has paid for your sins, past, present, future. It's, it's done. The work of the cross was more than enough. But we also have a responsibility now to conform ourselves to the image of God. Sanctification. And that's what the fruit of the Spirit is. The fruit is actually the result that it is working, that you are in line with the Spirit. There's a third step we're not talking about, but that's glorification. That's when it's all said and done, God, we live forever with God out of sin. No Sin is no more. It's destroyed. Death is destroyed. We live forever with Him. So we've got justification, sanctification, glorification. While we're on the earth, what are you and I focused on? Sanctification. And this is tough. This is where the rubber meets the road. So if Jesus is our model, so Jesus was God, is God, became a man, right, born of a woman, we have to examine how he lived his life. If we're to imitate him, he's the model. And luckily the model was, well, I wouldn't say made easy, but it's pretty easy to, to, to see, is that Jesus lived his life in communion with the Holy Spirit. This was his secret to success, was his communion with the Holy Spirit. The Bible says when Jesus was born, where did that child come from? It said, it said the Holy Spirit. It says the Holy Spirit was there. He was active in the birth of Jesus. You remember when Jesus was baptized by John? What happened to Jesus? It's not a trick question. Heavens opened up and who descended upon him like a dove? Every answer is going to be the Holy Spirit. Who drove Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil? The Holy Spirit, right? He fought the enemy there. When Jesus beat the devil after 40 days, it says he returned in the power of whom? The Holy Spirit. And now we start seeing miracles happen on a grand scale. The dead are raised, the blind receive their sight, the lame are healed. Jesus is now in the fullness of the power of the Spirit after that in the desert. Now, Jesus dies on the cross. He's raised from the dead. How is Jesus Christ raised from the dead? I already told you the answer. You didn't want to say it, did you? He was raised by the power of the Spirit, the Bible says in Hebrews. That he was raised incorruptible by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus dies. He hangs around for a while. A bunch of people come out of their graves. There's a whole scene going on in Jerusalem. It's pandemonium. Jesus looks at his disciples and says, Hey, I want you to hang out until the promise of the Father. That's the words they use. What's the promise of the Father? The Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's going to come. So 40 days later, when the, and the Pentecost had fully come, the Holy Spirit now is given to live inside and on men. Up until now, the Holy Spirit rested upon men and women to do things. But now Jesus said, this is the earnest deposit of your salvation, of, of your guarantee. Now, has anyone ever here bought a house? Yes. Do you remember what earnest money is? You got to put a little down payment. You got to have some. You got to have some skin in the game. Can you imagine that a part of the Godhead 
everything we just saw Jesus do, the Holy Spirit was active in. He says, well, this is just the down, this is just the down payment. This is the earnest. Is the Holy Spirit in us. That's amazing. Jesus said, it's better that I go away because when I go away, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. See, Satan had one problem when Jesus was on the earth. Who was that one problem? Jesus. The Bible says, had the, the, the prince of darkness knew, if he had known what he was doing, he never would have crucified the Lord of glory. You know why? Because now look at all these Christ-like ones. The Spirit goes out. Now who was holding all the power? The church, the body of Christ. Right? He starts sending us out. Go out into all the nations. And we start conquering for the kingdom of God. And how do we conquer? By winning souls. What's the one thing God cares about? Souls. What's the one thing the church is after? Souls, that's right, through the Holy Spirit. So he's gifted us. And if you read Acts, it's the, it's the acts of the Holy Spirit. We have all these things. So now, what does that have to do with what we're talking about? That's the model. Be imitators of him. Now we should live our life in the Spirit. So if we're to be more like him, let's go to Galatians 5, and 23. And Trey set this up two weeks ago where we're looking at fruit, the fruit of walking in the Spirit. The Bible uses different words. It says being in step with the Spirit, living in the Spirit, walking with Him. And if you read Galatians 5, and I highly, if you haven't read it, you need to because there's this thing they call the works of the flesh. Basically, it's what you will do on your own apart from God. And that list is pretty, pretty ugly. But Galatians 5.22 says, look, this is what a life looks like that has walked with the Spirit. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. That's the first thing. The Bible says God is love. All things come from love. All this fruit, they're connected. It, everything works only through love, right? So that's, that's number one. Joy. Daniel talked about that last week. We have peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. 23, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there's no law. If you keep that up there, please. So today, we're going to cover, we're going to skip down to verse 23. That first word you see there, gentleness. If you're, if you're rocking the 1611 King James, you would see the word what? Does anyone know what word is there? Meekness. I'm going to use those words interchangeably because if you're using the New King James or something else, you'll see gentleness show up in verse 22. And the fruit of the Spirit is, is probably the most confusing thing in different translations. And the reason being is because all these words are very closely related. And calling, uh, calling kindness gentleness is actually fair. Because kindness actually involves being gentle, right? Being good involves being gentle. So there's some overlap in the English language. But for our sake today, we're talking about verse 23, that first one, gentleness or meekness, okay? So we need to define this. And the easiest way, the definition, the most popular, Danny, if you put this definition up here, is the idea that meekness is strength under control. We'll talk about what that means. Meekness or gentleness is strength under control. Now, meekness and gentleness are, are tied close to humility, but the difference is, is that gentleness or meekness is expressed in how that humility is worked out towards other people, if that makes sense. So humility is what you think about yourself, right? Humble yourself, your own estimation of yourself. Gentleness is how that humility is expressed towards other people, right? That you are now valuing them. You're not thinking less of them and you are placing them at a higher value. You're being gentle, right? So if Jesus is our example, let's look at how he does this. 
And I think if we go to Philippians 2, 3, and 4, I like these verses. Because this, uh, if you keep it up there, Daniel, don't switch off this too quick. Look what it says. It says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Here, but here's our word, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. That's humility. Now look at verse 4. Here's gentleness. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. You see how one's a thought and verse 4 is an action? Let this mind be in you. Now do this. So if you are truly humble, gentleness has expressed itself in service, sacrifice, right? And there's a lot of things we're going we're to talk about what this looks like. But humility needs to be expressed, right? And it's expressed through the fruits of gentleness or meekness. Now, if Jesus being the example, let's go back to the start of Philippians 2. We'll start in verse 1. Jesus is the role model. So how did Jesus model this trait? I would say the first thing is, is his willingness to go to the cross, right? So how does he express this? So let's read the story uh, from Philippians. It says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, and complete my joy by being the same, of having the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, doing nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, now pay attention to this, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who thought he was, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, he'd emptied himself of, the, of, of God, his Godhead, by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Verse 11 says, And in every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So a lot of verses there to say that here's what Jesus did. He humbled himself to be made like us and to die like a man. Jesus is from eternity past to eternity future. He has no beginning. He has no end. He was in the beginning with God. And he said, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step away from this and go down there and fix this mess. There's only one way to do it, and he had to do it. So it's like, well, that's humility, but how is that expressed in gentleness? There's a few things you have to know about Jesus if you didn't know this. Go to Matthew 28, 18. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So think about this. Jesus is dying on the cross. They're pulling out his beard. They're mocking him. This guy has been harassed for three, three and a half years nonstop. Son of man has nowhere to lay his head, right? Jesus is, is living the, the, the Spartan life, if you will, for the kingdom of God. And yet this man has all authority has been given to him. Look at Matthew 26, 53. Jesus says, you know, they're getting ready to crucify him. He says, do you not know that I can appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legion of angels? Daniel, give me my next slide. Let's do some calculations here. Does anyone know how, how, uh, how big a Roman legion was? It, yeah, between 5,000 and 6,000. Most people say it has 5,300 soldiers, right? 
So let's do a math test. Daniel, hit me. So Jesus could call down more than 12 legions. What's the answer to this? A lot. Yes, give it, yeah. So Jesus says, hey, do you not know that I could pull down over 60,000 angels right now? And I don't know if you've ever read the Old Testament. When an angel shows up with a sword, that's a bad day for everybody except the angel. Right? The Bible says when, when God wraps up this thing, the final bad in Armageddon, all these things happen, it says that the blood will rise up to the horse's bridle. Nothing's left alive. It took two angels to wipe out Sodom and Gomorrah. Right? A couple dudes showed up. Not a lot of people walked out. So Jesus said, do you not know that I could call down over 63,000 angels at the drop of a hat? So what does this have to do with our message? See the humility. Jesus took the form. He had all power. Go and give me the next slide. This, Jesus is gentle and yet all-powerful. Meekness and gentleness is not a lack of power. It doesn't mean that you're a doormat, that you roll over and play dead. Right? has nothing to do with your value, your ability. has nothing to do with that. You can be all-powerful, you can be smart, you can be gifted, you can do all these things and still be gentle, still be humble, and still treat other people with that great value like Jesus did. Right? That is awesome. If I was Jesus, right before I got crucified, I would have called down the angels and it would have been a bloodbath and you all wouldn't have been saved. <laughs> Because that's pride right there. It's like, let me just show these guys who I am. Could you imagine being able to do that, the mocking? Have you ever been mocked or anything like that where you just want to show them? Have you ever wanted to be, be right so bad you'd pay any price? Oh, if I could just show this person. And Jesus had that under control. That's the life you and I are now called to. Strength under control. We're not going to talk about this, but another thing that, uh, just for time's sake, that I, if you think about Jesus of gentleness when he rode into Jerusalem right for Passover and they laid down the palm leaves and they were crying out Hosanna Hosanna did Jesus ride in on a war horse with armor no what did Jesus ride on a donkey lowly right as prophesied here's my servant riding on a donkey lowly look at that humility of him riding in Jerusalem not as a conquering king but who a servant on a donkey, right? When Jesus had the power to punish people, right? When the woman that was caught in adultery came to him, what did Jesus say to her? Now go and sin no more. Jesus had every right to drop the hammer on that, right? But what did he say? No, go and sin no more. Jesus' heart for the people is expressed in his gentleness. Just because you have the power to judge, to crush, to be right, that's not of God, and that's not the model that Christ has given you. He says, be gentle, right? Just because you can doesn't mean you should. It probably means you shouldn't. I, I found this online. It's a, I'm going to read you a paragraph, and I, I love the way this explains gentleness. Uh, it says, think about a horse. These animals weigh an average of 1,000 pounds and have the potential to seriously injure or even kill a human being. Yet we can walk up to the vast majority of horses, pet them, ride them, and deem them as gentle. Is this a reflection of their power and strength? No, it's an indication of their nature. What they are like after being trained. Gentleness for a horse is a choice to allow its power and strength to be controlled. A gentle person is not a weak person, but rather someone who is strong, secure, and mature. 
They use their strength to face real giants and challenges in their lives, but choose not to run roughshod over others. I, I just love that imagery right there, that just because a horse doesn't donkey kick you right in the throat doesn't mean it can't, doesn't mean it's not powerful, right? We, we treat that animal with respect because it will hurt us. And same it is with as human beings. God has given us all the power. We can all hurt one another, right? Words hurt. We can hurt each other physically. And what does God say? Reign it in, right? Control that ability he's given you. Last example, if I haven't just beat this thing to death, is have you ever handed a newborn baby over to like a five-year-old to hold? Oh, I want to hold the baby. What's the first thing you say to that child? Gentle. Gentle. <laughs> right? Be careful. Why? Because the child can hurt the baby. Because it has strength. Right? So strength it looks a lot of different ways. But we use that word gentle. Gentle is breakable. As human beings, we are breakable and we're capable of breaking. And we're we the double-edged sword, if you will. Right? This is what that fruit looks like. You, we need to stop breaking each other. We need to start being gentle. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. And Jesus was that model. Now, if we go to Proverbs 8.13, we're not going to dwell too much on the negative side, but if this is something that the Lord is really speaking to you too that you need to work on, one great way to study the Bible is to also look at opposite examples. Right, So we have positive examples in Jesus and and. If you just look up, if, if you go to blueletterbible.com, it's a great study tool. By default, it's in the King James. If you looked up the word meek and meekness, it'll just start giving you every scripture that talks about these things. And you can look at what God says about these things. You can change the translation. You can put in gentleness and kindness. But another way is to look at the exact opposite. And it says, the fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. There's one thing I know about the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ is he hates pride. He hates arrogance. King James says he hates the haughty look. He hates, he hates that kind of thing in man where it says, I've arrived. And you know why he hates it? It's because God is so much greater than we are. Have you ever seen somebody and you just kind of roll your eyes like, oh, this guy thinks he's all that, but it's like, man, this guy would get crushed anywhere else in life. Arrogancy is terrible. Now, I'll tell you a story about how I fail at this because I think this is a good example. So I have a secular job. I, I, I travel every week, so I'm what you'd consider a lay pastor, meaning I don't get paid, not a professional, an amateur. <laughs> um, but I have a day job, right? So I travel Monday through Friday. So I'm in charge. I do sales uh, training in Asia, and I'm responsible for Canada and the West Coast of the United States. So I'm, I'm just, I live in a plane. And San Diego is, uh, is the home of the Marines and the Navy, right? I mean, so when you get on a plane and you fly back to San Diego, you're going to run into people that are just coming off a of leave from being trained up here in Camp Pendleton or whatever. And one of the things I always hate is these guys come back, and it's not a knock. I was an enlisted guy, so, I, you know, don't beat me up in the parking lot. <laughs> Talking about young Marines. Is inevitably, I always hear this, there's always some young Marine like his chest puffed up, and there's some civilian talking to him. And this guy, you can tell by the look on his face, this guy's been in less than a year. He's got no stripes on stripes. But to hear him talk, he might as well be John Rambo. You know, so there I was, you know, <laughs> picking up cigarettes on the smoke pad. 
And, and it drives me nuts because all these guys that have come out of boot camp, they're just like, they might as well be the Secretary of Defense. They're weighing in on world politics, election in countries I've never heard of. And, you know, sitting, and I'm just like, oh, are you kidding me? I look like Robert Downey Jr. You know, when he rolls his eyes, have you seen that meme? It's like, I'm sitting there and they're like, well, what's the point of this? I hear this every week. I fly to San Diego every single week. If you ever want to find Michael Young, just go to the airport. I'm there rolling my eyes at young Marines and, and sailors. Well, this last week this happened again, and there's this young guy sitting back there, and he's talking to these girls, and same thing, I was just getting annoyed. I'm like, this guy really just thinks he's the man. I'm looking back at him, and the guy's like 18, 19. You know, it's like, man, what a, what a war stud. And I'm getting angry at this guy. Like, and it's arrogant. I'm telling you, it's not justified. I'm getting worked up. I'm like, this guy's full of, full of garbage. I won't say the word. I'm thinking, like, this is, this is nonsense, what this guy's spouting to these two young girls he's talking to. There's always an objective here. Marines, it's always women. I don't, if you're a Navy, I don't know what those guys are doing. But. And so I'm judging this guy in my head. And I'm thinking, it's like, man, what a meathead. You know, good luck, buddy. Like, whatever. And it's not nice what's going on. Now, I'm a pastor. I'm not a rookie pastor. I've also done this full time. I've done this for a long time. And uh, I'm getting in the car, and I really feel the Holy Spirit start to talk to me. You know, it's like, I was like, wait a minute. I, I was an enlisted guy. I was in the Air Force. I was like, wait a minute. I, I was also that stupid. And I remember wearing my flight suit home. I got a flight suit. And I remember just being so cool. Like, we weren't supposed to wear the flight suits on the plane, but I was like, I'm going to put this thing on. So we stopped. And I remember changing in the bathroom, putting my flight suit on. So when I landed in my hometown, everyone's like, oh, what's up? And I look back and the things I did, I was like, man, that's stupid. I would be so embarrassed to be me at, at that point. And the Holy Spirit just showed me, it's like, man, you were no better at that age. Matter of fact, you were, I was probably worse because Air Force guys are insufferable. And, <laughs> and I really just started to be humbled by God, realizing who I am and how dare I judge this young kid that I'm over 20 years older than. I've had the life experiences to see the error of my ways. And I just remember being excited getting to wear that uniform home. I remember the pride that came with that. You know, thinking it was cool to carry the sea bag through the airport. And now this jaded guy, 20, you know, over 20 years later, rolls his eyes when I see the sea bag. I'm like, oh my gosh, get, a, get over it, buddy. Get a duffel bag, you know? <laughs> and I kind of view that like, I, just the Holy Spirit ministered me like, you know, what's your problem? What's wrong with that guy? What's he doing? And it's that arrogancy of me and the pride of me thinking I'm better than this other human being. It, it, you know, it's a funny story, but it's shameful on my side. I'm a grown man. Get over it, right? How often do we hold those attitudes towards others? We just think we're better. We may not express it or say it, but let's be honest. Are there people that you think you're better than, right? There's the joke Jim Gaffigan says, oh, you eat at McDonald's? I didn't know I was better than you, right? <laughs> it's like we judge people for all sorts of random things. So think about that. Think about your thoughts. Think about these actions because God hates the arrogant. He hates pride. And if you study pride, look that up in the Blue Letter Bible. The Bible says it doesn't go well for you. God actively works against the proud. He raises up the humble, and God works against the proud. He, he, he will do the humbling for you. And if God, you don't want God to actively humble you. Okay. Um, how we're going to end this is I, I thought it'd be good to talk about how do we cultivate this fruit? So obviously this is love. This is joy. Everything we've talked about. But there's a couple areas you could focus on if we're lacking the humility, the gentleness, this, this, this fruit that we need. 1 Timothy 6.11 says this. 
But as for you, O man of God, and might I add, O woman of God, flee these things, but pursue righteousness, God, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. So the first thing you need to do is you need to pursue this. There are certain things in the Christian's life, the fruit is automatic. It happens when you're walking with the Spirit, but he also tells us we need to pursue these things. You need to, to desire it. The Bible, when it talks about spiritual gifts, it says, earnestly desire the best gifts. God wants you to want these things. I want you to want me, right? I want you to want this. You have to want to be gentle. This is how you pursue this. This should be part of your prayer life. Lord, help me to be gentle. Help me to control these things that are in me. Pursue it. Number two, it's found in Titus 3.2. Speak evil of no one. Avoid quarreling. To be gentle and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. Number two, this fruit is not only expressed in church, it's expressed everywhere, to all people, to people you like, to people you loathe, to people older than you, than people younger than you, parents to kids, kids to parents. This is a universal way of living. And a lot of times, I'll tell you, when preaching, there's a quote that says that preaching the word makes a hypocrite of us all. Because eventually we have to preach something that we're not practicing. Now, that list shouldn't be very long, hopefully, as an elder. But this fruit, I need to develop. I was telling Trace and Daniel and Mark yesterday, I was like, man, this is how the Lord works. I get this fruit, and this is the one that I need to work on, being gentle. Scripture gives us all sorts of good things. It says a, a kind answer turns away wrath. A soft answer turns away wrath. How do we talk to people? How do we express it? How do we communicate? How do you talk to your kids? Right? The Bible says don't provoke your kids to anger. You look at some people, man, and they are not gentle with their kids. But how did Jesus treat the kids? He said, let them come to me. Let them come to me. He loves the kids. And I mentioned the home life. How do, how do you talk to your spouse? How do you talk to your wife? How do you talk to your husband? How do you talk to your brothers or sisters if you're a teenager? is we feel like the home, we can act however we want. And that's unfortunate. Because there's a thing we have called societal norms, right? where there's a normal way to function in society. Meaning that if I came up here to preach without my shirt on, why it would be a spectacle to behold that I violated a social norm, like, right? <laughs> Where's my wife? She's like, yeah. No, right? There, there's a norm there that says, like, this, you would walk out of here, right? Because this is not normal. This is not right. Now, we treat all the fruit of the Spirit like this is how I behave in public. But when I get to my house, I can act however I want. Well, this is my house. I can do what I want. This is my spouse. It's my husband. These are my kids. Right? No. It should look the same. It's exactly the same. Actually, if you read the Old Testament, there's something scary. There's a lot of scary things in the Old Testament. But one of the scariest things was is God's getting ready to judge Israel. And he said, you know why I'm going to judge you? Because I've heard you whispering in your tents. It wasn't what they were saying in the public discourse. God's like, I've heard what you've been talking about at your house. And it was like, uh-oh. You mean there's not a magic God shield over my house where he can't see in there? No, of course. I would actually argue that God cares more about what's happening in your house than other places. Because the family unit, what happens at the house, spreads to all other areas of your life. Right? So the advice would be when we say perfect courtesy to all people, here's what I would recommend as your pastor. Number one, start with your closest circle. 
evaluate those relationships. Am I being gentle with those I love? And gentle isn't just being a doormat. It's power under control. Be slow to speak, slow to anger, quick to hear. So the advice would be is shut up. If you're expressing yourself wrong, if your power is out of control and you're crushing people, shut up. Stop talking. The Bible says, put a guard over my mouth that I might not sin against you. In the multitude of words, the Bible says, sin wanteth not. That sin starts with the mouth, right? It's a thought. It gets expressed and it goes downhill from there. Jesus said, it's not what goes into a man that defiles him, but it's what comes out of him. It says, tongue is set on fire of hell and the whole course of man is set on fire by it. Who can control the tongue? So the advice would be, when we're courtesy to all people, is watch what you say. Humility is what we think inwardly. Meekness is how it is expressed outward and our tongue is a large part of that. Galatians 6.1 says this. So here's the third idea. It says, brothers, if anyone is caught in transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in the spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Even when you're right and you're correcting somebody, somebody who's sinning, somebody that needs to be spoken to, it says do it in the spirit of meekness or gentleness. Even when you know that you know that you know that you're right, never gives you permission to go crush somebody else. Think about, have you ever seen those people? I'm not on Facebook, but I, I've, good Lord, I've seen the post. You know, these heresy hunters on Facebook that just want to argue with everybody? Is that ever done? Even if they're right, is that done in the spirit of gentleness? Does that help anybody? Here, if you want to, to, to make your point, is do it in the spirit of gentleness. I know when my wife and I disagree, when we both get hard-headed, do you think anyone ever comes to an understanding? Two people just walk away angry. Then we have to apologize to each other. But two people with the spirit of gentleness having a conversation, can minds be changed? Can arguments actually even be won? Disagreements? Of course. Because God is in that. God's not in division. He's not in fighting. He's not in there. He's nowhere near that. But he is in gentleness and peace and humility. God resists the proud, but he lifts up the humble. Two proud people going at it. That's a, that's a, bad, that's a bad thing. So if you're going to correct your brother, the Bible says do it with the spirit of gentleness. So the third idea would be is even if you know that you're right, does it even matter if you're not doing it with the right motive? And the answer is it doesn't. It just doesn't. Okay. My parting words here. Again, if, if you're a note taker, there's certain things that you should pay attention to. The, the first thing I would say would be your thoughts. Right, so to cultivate the, the fruit of gentleness, I gave you the example of me tearing apart that poor young Marine um, on the plane. Now, he never knew what I was thinking. And if he showed up to church today, he would never know it, that I was thinking about him. Unless he's like, dude, you were sitting in front of me on that United flight. And I'm like, oh, no. But that was a thought problem. Thought problems are heart problems, right? So think about what you're thinking about. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you. The problem with thoughts is a lot of times they're automatic. I sat there and thought negatively for an hour and a half, two hours, until the Holy Spirit said, hey, look what you're doing. And to be honest with you, most of the time, I, I don't even catch it. Thoughts go in, thoughts go out. Right? So ask God to help you catch your thoughts. Number two is watch our words. We just spoke about that, right? The words matter. It's good to stop talking. 
It's good to think about what you're saying. It's good to evaluate. Ask your spouse or significant other or your friends or whoever. Ask them, it's like, hey, is there anything that I, I continually say or do? Because a lot of times words are on autopilot. We say things. Jackie and John always tease me because I use the word weird a lot. It's like, do you realize that you say weird all the time? Now every time I say it, only at their house am I aware of it. Every, I leave their house, I don't even think twice about using the words. It's in my vocabulary. My wife likes to use the word annoyed. You're annoying me. <laughs> you laugh, but what's your favorite word is annoyed. Um, and I, I was like, hey, this is not a good way to always speak about things. Because she's really not annoyed, but it's how she expresses herself. Okay, so our words. Number three was watch your actions. Body language says an awful lot. You, have you ever seen somebody and you can tell they're arrogant? And not just the axe body spray. I'm talking about there's a, there's a body posture. There, you know, there's a way. You walk into somebody, you can just tell. It's like, this is an arrogant person, by the way. Now, there's a way some people just carry themselves and you look up to them. It's like, man, that's, here comes a real man. Here comes a real woman. Look at the way they, they, they inspire. So you can actually physically see arrogance versus someone who just knows how to stand tall. Right? So watch your actions. You know, I, I talk with my hands a lot. You know, if you're correcting somebody, you know, think about what you're conveying there. Are you being gentle? Right? Are you being aggressive? Last thing is look at your prayer life. The Holy Spirit, we set this whole thing up is that Jesus was able to do what he did because of the, the working of the Holy Spirit. At the very beginning, I said, hey, luckily God has made it easy on us. You realize that all of these things we talked about, we can't do by ourselves. By ourselves, we're going to fail, and we do fail. But we have the Holy Spirit. As the Holy Spirit worked in Jesus, he works in us. And so prayer, communing with the Holy Spirit, is pray for these things. When we talked about pursuing it, if you're lacking self-control and gentleness, meekness, pray about these things. There's no shame in asking for help. James says this. He says, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. He says, who gives liberally and upbraideth not. It's like, great, what is upbraideth? It says, in the modern translation, it would sound like this. If you need wisdom, ask God. He won't make fun of you because you need wisdom. It's not a weakness to need help in these areas. And a lot of times, it's pride that keeps us from even acknowledging it. It's pride that keeps us from acknowledging our sin and our, and our need of that. So I would say that above all else is pray. Lord, help me to be gentle. Help me to be gentle with my spouse. Help me to be gentle with my kids and my coworkers. Help me to model like Jesus, who had all authority and all power, and yet treated people better than he would treat himself. The one who created the earth and washed the horse and the mud and the muck off his disciples' feet like a common servant. That's greatness in Christianity. And it's so tough to do here on earth because we want, we want to be lifted up. We want to be proud. We want the best seat. We want to show people how much we know. We want to show people how strong we are. God says this backwards. Show people how great they are, how you can help them, how you can serve them. And friends, if you do this, I promise, there's one thing I've known for decades of serving Christ is that God does lift up the humble. God doesn't leave the humble down in the mud. 
He will promote you. He will put you where you need to be. And he will be with you. And all that strength that God has given you already, combined with the power of the Holy Spirit, will make you unstoppable. But when you forge ahead and you're arrogant and you're proud and you let everybody else know it, you've got God actively working against you. It's the opposite of a spirit-filled life. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. I thank you for your great grace. And Lord, I pray that it starts with me. Lord, I've, I freely admit for not being gentle with people, Father. My words can be harsh. My thoughts can be even harsher. Lord God, but that's not the example that you have given us. And Lord, so I ask that you would forgive me for, for pride, for, for all these things, Father. You know, Father, you see you see what's been hidden in the dark, Father. So I, I bring it to you right now. And I pray that as you work in the, me in this, Father God, just like the oil running down Aaron's beard, Father, that you would work in this congregation. Lord, that you would increase our capacity to be gentle, to control ourselves, Father, to be humble. Lord God, that we would be servants of all, that we would love all people. And Lord, even those that, that push us and make our life tough, Lord God, where we want to lash out. Lord, help us to be like Jesus, that we're completely under control of our emotions. Lord God, that we would consider others before we consider ourselves. That we look after the interests of others more than we look after the interests of ourselves. Lord, we, we know we can do it through your spirit because you said to be like you. You said to be imitators. And so, Father, we thank you already in advance for the results. That we can't fail with you and with your spirit. Lord God, that you are there with us even to the end of the age and we're excited about it. I thank you that you are conforming us to your image according to your will. I thank you for these things. The church said? Amen. Amen and amen.